Our good Father, we ask that your word would be a lamp unto our feet, that it would be a light unto our path, that by it we would see your beloved Son, Jesus, and that through your Spirit you would give us new life. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So everyone in here has experienced some aspect of the parent-child relationship, whether it's as a parent or as a child or as both. And in parenting, there really are these two movements that are meant to be happening alongside one another all the time. And the first is, is a movement to comfort, to encourage, and support. This is the voice that is always saying, I love you no matter what. You can tell me anything and everything, and I will not run away from you. I will be there for you. That is what that voice is saying. That's that movement. And the second movement is a movement to guide, to warn, to challenge. This is the voice that says how you live every day matters. This is the voice that says this is the way. This is the way that is good. Walk in it. Both of these voices are coming from the same place. Both of these voices are coming from a place of love and concern and commitment. Both of these voices have the same purpose, and that is to help move towards life. So in our passage, when the Apostle John, disciple of Jesus, opens up with these words, my little children, he's not being condescending, he's not being patronizing, he is likely an elderly man at this point who has given his life in service of the church, has suffered greatly. What he is doing is he is expressing a love for them. He is expressing a concern for them, a desire for their good. And he is embodying, even in these words we're going to look at, these two movements of a good parent. Uh, this movement to comfort, to support, to encourage, and a, a movement to guide and to challenge and even to warn. You could say in a lot of ways, it's like he, he's building a bridge. So in this letter that to people whom he very much cares about, he is leading them in a particular direction. But as, as he does that, as he guides them, he realizes that there are many different ways in which these people can veer off to the left or to the right and make a wreck of their faith and of their life. And what he does to help move them along is he gives them what you might say are these guardrails. Guardrails you'll see on every bridge that you will cross over to keep you from crashing in the water on one side or the other. So John sets up these guardrails that are meant to, to comfort and to guide and to lead God's people on the way of life. And it's these two guardrails that, that I want us to consider this morning and what they mean for us. Here's the, the first guardrail is the danger of not taking our sin seriously enough. And the second guardrail is the danger of us not taking God's grace seriously enough. 
So guardrail one, our sin, not taking it seriously enough. Guardrail two, God's grace and not taking that seriously enough. And we'll start with the first one. If you have ever been in a community group with me that I have led, then you know that I can ask very long and complicated questions. And I can tell I've done this when after I finish, there's this awkward silence. And then somebody will courageously speak up in a small voice and say simply, could you repeat the question? <laughs> and so I, I rethink it and whittle it down and I say, how was your week? <laughs> or something like that. Uh, I love how John starts it here. He says, my dear children, I am writing these things to you so that blank. It's not this long, complicated uh, Pauline logic that we have to follow. It's just John saying, I love you. This is important. I'm writing all of this so that, and here's how he concludes it, so that you may not sin. One of the growing values in our culture and in our world is this, this belief that says, I should be able to live however I want to live. And so any talk about sin really is, in many ways, a power play. It's somebody trying to make me feel bad about my life or somebody trying to control me in some type of way. But as we, as we read this letter and as we dig into John's life and who he was and his relationship with Jesus, it's, it's not an old, cranky man looking at this people saying, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. I'm trying to control all of the aspects of your life. It's someone whom we've seen over this past few weeks who says, I've, I've heard something. I've seen something. I've experienced something. I have been with Jesus, who is the life of God, and I want to share that with you. And it's one who's saying, this is the way. There is a way that leads to life, and there's a way that leads to death. And with all of my heart and soul, I want you to experience the way of life. It's John saying, this is the way of light. This is the way of life. This is the way of love. Walk in it. And sin, what it is, is the enemy of that way. And so he's saying, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. John doesn't come out here and, and explain a whole lot of this idea of sin. But when you look at Scripture, we're, we're given some different helpful images and pictures of what it looks like. And there's three in particular that I want to highlight before we move on to the next guardrail. And the first is this picture of, of missing a mark. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the other week, I went axe throwing with some friends, which is kind of like darts, just uh, bigger and more dangerous. And as I walked into there, you know, I had these visions of, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis, Last of the Mohicans, and just chunking this massive axe and it just landing exactly where you want it to. And 
The night ended up being me uh, walking back and forth, picking up my axe off the ground and walking back to the line and throwing it only to have it knock off and fall to the ground. This picture of missing the mark that's laid out in Scripture is similar to that. It's us uh, aiming at a target, pulling back, letting go, and it landing nowhere near where we are trying to get to. What John is saying and what the other biblical writers are saying is that there there is one who made us out of love. And there is one who designed us to live in a specific kind of way. There's one who designed our lives to land on the bullseye of joy and freedom and life. But what sin does is it makes us fall incredibly short. So what we experience is something very different. We were designed to live in a perfect relationship with God that is life-giving and perfect and harmonious life-giving relationships with one another. And we can all acknowledge that that's far from the reality. And so when John is saying, uh, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, he's saying, I'm writing these things to you positively so that you might experience that life that God has designed you for. The second picture that we're given in Scripture is this picture of, of what you could call a foolish exchange, a trading out. So back in 1976, there was a, a man named Ron Wayne, which I don't think anybody in here knows anything about him. Uh, he was partners with this young, eccentric entrepreneur named Steve Jobs. And his partnership included him owning 10% of this new venture strange startup company called Apple. He got a little weirded out by just the eccentricity of Steve. And so what he did is he decided to ditch this 10% shares. And he was excited that he was able to get $800 for these shares. Uh, Today, those shares are worth $120 billion. So that's a one, a two, and a zero, and then nine more zeros added on to that. Um, that's a lot of money. I probably would have done the same thing. Many of us would have and looked at this guy's craziness not knowing where it's going. But looking back, 2021 with 2020 vision, 40 years later, we can all say that was a terrible trade. What you gave up compared to what you could have gained was a bad choice. That's often how God describes the nature of sin from the prophet Jeremiah. My people have committed these two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to dig for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So you have this picture here of water that is is fresh. It comes from a fountain. It's abundant. It keeps flowing and flowing, never ending. And it's so valuable that it's said to be alive. It's not just normal water. It's it's living. It has the power to impart a kind of life that no other water does. 
And then you have a cistern, which was often located at the center of a city, and it's often where animals drank out of. And so it just sat there, collecting rainwater, collecting dirt, and this particular cistern is leaking. And God is saying, what my people are doing and what the nature of sin is, it's saying no to this fountain of living water. And it's looking at the cistern and saying yes. And so when John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, he's saying, I'm writing these things to you so that you might not turn away from the fountain of living waters and that you might dunk your head, that you might not dunk your head in this cistern and think that that's going to give you what you want. Third and finally is a picture of being enslaved to a terrible master. So this past year, I read Uncle Tom's Cabin for the first time, which was written by the daughter of a Presbyterian minister. And it paints this this very vivid picture of slavery and life in the Old South. And and Tom, the main character, is in many ways an incredible Christ-like figure. And he finds himself in slavery, but with a family, and then he gets traded to a new master where he cannot go home, cannot see those that he loves. The new master is somewhat kind and generous, and through this radical change of heart, plans to set him free. This new master dies before he's able to do that, and then he gets traded to another new master out of the slave market. This new master's name is Simon Legree. And if you have read the book, then you know that Simon Legree is not a good man. When he buys Tom, one of the questions he asks is, do you belong to a church? And Tom says, well, yes. And his response to that is, well, we'll soon have that out of you. We'll have none of your bawling, praying, singing on my place. So remember and mind yourself, I'm your church now. You understand? You've got to be as I say. Simon does not care about Tom's happiness. Simon does not care about Tom's hopes. Simon does not care about Tom's well-being except to the degree that it helps him use Tom. Simon despises Tom, which plays out in incredibly brutal ways. When Jesus says, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin, What he's saying is sin is not your friend. Sin is not something that you run to and find that it gives you life and freedom and joy. Sin is something that no matter what kind of a friendly face it puts on, it is out to get you. It leads into greater bondage. So, when John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, he's, he's saying, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not give your life over to a master that is going to take control and take the very life that you are thinking it's going to give you. Reflection. When you think about your own life, what is your relationship with sin? And I use that word relationship very intentionally. Is your relationship one of close companionship and trust? Uh, is, Is your relationship one of indifference? 
doesn't really matter. Is your relationship one of uh, kind of you've made some peace treaties with it? Is it one of all-out hostility? There's a reason why the, the Puritan John Owen wrote these words long ago, be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's the first guardrail. This, this danger we run on this, on this road that leads to life is this danger of not taking sin seriously. It's gravity. It's power. It's danger. But there is another guardrail that is just as if not more important, and that is the danger of not taking God's grace seriously enough. You know, there's a real danger, even in what I just said, for however many minutes that was, and we talk about sin, that all of a sudden our sin becomes the main character in the story. There's a, main, there's a danger that I'm aware of that on Sunday mornings you can walk away, or you can walk away from reading your Bible feeling the weight of sin, and, and hearing a voice that says you just need to try harder, you need to do better, you need to be better. But the story of the Bible, and please hear this, the story of the Bible is not your sin. The story of the Bible is about God and His grace and how that power trumps sin. It is what God is doing to have victory and to overcome that. That's why we call it gospel, which simply means good news. So yes, John says, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin, but that's not all. He says... But if anybody does, which he knows, and you can read throughout his letter, he knows this is going to be an ongoing struggle. He says, when, when sin is our life, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Put simply, sin is powerful. Very powerful. God's grace is much more powerful. It's like the Apostle Paul said long ago, sin abounds, but grace abounds all the more. And we see this powerful grace come to us in these words in the form of what John calls an advocate. So in his book, just Mercy, Brian Stevens is a, he shares all these different stories from his own life about tragedies he's seen take place in our justice system. There's one main overarching story, but in between he shares these smaller stories which are incredibly powerful. And there's one in particular that, uh, that stuck with me uh, in a very powerful way. And it had to do with this young uh, African-American boy named Charlie. So Charlie is 14 years old. He is five feet tall, and he's less than 100 pounds. So in other words, this is a really skinny boy. He's a good kid. He gets good grades. He stays out of trouble. He lives with his mom. But his mom has a boyfriend who over the past year, three times, has sent his mom to the hospital because of what he has done to her. 
There's one night where Charlie and his mom are playing cards and having a good time. Mom's boyfriend comes in drunk, uh, beats her. She hits her head on the counter as she falls. She's on the floor, lifeless. He doesn't know what to do. He's sobbing. He's trying to help his mom in any way that he can. He thinks that she's dead. So minutes later, he goes into the bedroom to get the phone to call 911. He sees his, uh, her boyfriend's uh, on the bed, just passed out. And instead of reaching for the phone, he gets this boyfriend's gun and he shoots him. And so here you have 14-year-old Charlie, five feet tall, 95 pounds, is arrested, is treated as an adult, is uh, thrown in jail. And his grandmother calls Brian, you know, three days, three days later. She doesn't know what to do. And so Brian goes and, and visits him uh, in jail, and he can't get Charlie to talk at all. Um, and, and Brian is just pursuing in just incredible ways. And finally, he just starts weeping and opening up. And, and when he opens up in his, like, just frail voice, it, it's, not, it's not about what happened to his mom. Um, it's about what happened to him the past three nights uh, from these adult inmates in this And what you have there is somebody who is vulnerable, somebody who is helpless, somebody who must have someone fight for him or else he is hopeless. And that's just what, what Brian does. I mean, after reading that book, he is one of my heroes. He comes alongside of this boy and fights for him. What he is in that moment is an advocate. When John says that Jesus is an advocate for us, he is saying that Jesus is aligning himself with us. Aligning himself with us in our weakness and suffering and also aligning himself with us in our sin and what we've done and what we cannot get out of. He's saying what we have in Jesus is someone who comes to us and someone who is going to fight for us and someone who is going to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And Jesus is our advocate before the Father. And what he does is he secures grace. He secures mercy. He secures forgiveness. And what we find is that that's exactly what the Father sent Him for. What the Father gave His beloved Son to do and to be for us. It's this beautiful picture of God working together for our good and our helplessness and our sin and guilt and misery. Jesus is given freely and out of great love to be what's called here a propitiation, which is a big word. Some translate it as an atoning sacrifice. What it means is it takes away our guilt and it absorbs the just penalty for our sin. It means that someone else gets what we deserve. And that gets us to really the heart of the Gospel. What, what Jesus deserved as the righteous one is what we get. And what we deserve as the ones he gets. That's the cross. That's the transaction 
that happens. That's how Peter describes it. Christ, the Messiah, also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. In Isaiah, we've all like sheep gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For by his wounds, we are healed. When Tom heard Simon Legree say, I am your church now, you understand, you have to do and be as I say. That wasn't the end of Tom's story. Because in that moment, we're told that he hears something within him say no. As if repeated by an invisible voice came the words of an old prophetic scroll, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Sin is powerful. Sin says you are mine. God and His grace are more powerful. And God and His grace says, no, you are mine. This is the way to life. These are the dangers that assail us. What does your relationship with sin look like in your own life? But even more importantly, what does your relationship with Jesus look like in your life? How are you looking to Him to be your advocate, your sacrifice, your Savior? Because there is a danger of not taking our sin seriously enough, but the greater danger is not taking Jesus and His grace and the power of the Gospel seriously enough. There's a good way. and Let's walk in it together. Let's pray. Um, Jesus, long ago, you gave story about throwing out seeds and seeds landing on different kinds of soil and different dangers that attend those seeds. And honestly, very few of those seeds produced anything. May that not be so this morning amongst all of us. Would your word take root in our hearts, be protected, be nurtured, and grow to bear fruit? that we might hope in Your unfailing love and share that with a world that is so hungry for hope. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.